Well, man, good morning. It's great to have you guys here today. Again, uh, thank you so much for being part of church this morning. Thanks for, for being part of local church. Uh, we kicked off a series last Sunday, and we're looking at these internal struggles, these internal battles. Uh, we all struggle, we all battle, and those can look very similar, or those can look very differently. But bottom line, we all struggle. We all have those burdens in our life that we just keep dealing with. We just keep coming back to again and again. And of course, the goal for today is that we would run to God with those. And we're going to kind of walk through a progression of what that looks like. Um, I'll tell you, I, one of the things in my life over the last probably year or so, I've been a little bit more, not hyper-focused, so like don't give me too much credit here. I've been trying to be more focused on what I, what I eat. I'm getting a little bit older. I apparently have a major birthday coming up uh, next year. And I'm told I can't just eat whatever I want to eat like I used to. Um, and my doctor, wonderful man of God, has kind of said, no, you're pretty healthy, but see these numbers right here? Let's just watch those. And I'm like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound great. So I just, I'm trying to be a little bit more aware, trying to pay a little bit more attention, which for me, like it went from a whole bag of pizza rolls at 10 o'clock at night to like a half a bag of pizza rolls at nine o'clock at night. Like I'm trying to make progressions. No, I'm not doing that as much anymore. I'm trying to do a little bit better. And I've gotten to a place where I'm like, no, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Not as much of the eating out and watching what I eat and how late I eat and everything. Until about two and a half weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, something happened in our culture that uh, just shook my, my willingness and my ability, my strength and discipline to watch what I eat and to be eating better. About two and a half weeks ago, this was all over social media. This was all over TV commercials. Signs were everywhere. I was getting alerts on my phone about Chick-fil-A's new honey pepper pimento chicken sandwich. I'm like, man, you already had me at chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, but now you're throwing pimento cheese on this act, on this, on this beautiful work of art. Are you kidding me right now? And I'm like, nah, I mean, I'm probably not going to do it. But then, so a lot of my driving is by the Dawsonville Chick-fil-A. And every time I drive, I just see the sign. I'm like, pimento cheese chicken sandwich, pimento cheese chicken sandwich. And I started to rationalize in my head. It's like, well, like, what if I just tried it one time? I won't do the whole meal. I'll just do one just to say I've done it because everybody keeps asking, Ronnie, have you tried the new honey pimento, pepper and pimento cheese uh, chicken sandwich? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to do better. But what if I just tried one so I can engage in some conversations? That might even lead to discipleship conversations that allows me the opportunity to pastor people better because we have some commonality. We found some common ground. I'm like, that's a good enough reason for me. So I go through the drive-through. I said, pimento chicken sandwich, please, not the meal. I at least didn't do the meal. And I uh, drove through, got it. And oh my goodness, my staff was actually here when I came over and I ate it here. I'm like, this is amazing. I looked at my receipt and I said, how much extra did they charge for that one scoop? So then I started like going back and forth. I was like, am I going to do this again? And that's what people would ask me. Like, are you going to eat this again? Uh, I, I, the, the right answer is no. The real answer is absolutely. It was so good. It was so worth it. And, and it's unfortunate because right next to the price of things, they also put the calories of things. I'm like, this is not helping me. But it's this constant struggle. And I know that's a really silly struggle. I totally understand. I'm not trying to minimize our real struggles. But here's what a silly struggle points to. If me, as a grown adult, has struggled just deciding whether I'm going to eat this new pimento chicken sandwich or not, what in the world 
gives me the idea that I'm going to be able to overcome some of the major ones. Right? So that's where we take those silly struggles and we struggle with those and those are difficult on their own and, and we think we can handle the big things. I can't handle saying no to chicken sandwiches, much less the major struggles and battles that I face and that you face. So we could all come up with the silly struggles, the funny stories, the New Year's resolutions back in January that are long gone. Oh, but there's plenty of struggles that we're still facing. There's plenty of struggles that we're still dealing with. So we're going to talk through those. If you're struggling, does that mean you're not a Christian? Does that mean that Jesus hasn't really taken your sins away? Is, well, I'm still struggling with sin, so what, what, we're going to look at those questions. Let me give you a, a couple disclaimers. One, there's there's a much larger conversation than just what we have time for today. So man, I said this last week, four things I would encourage you to do as we go through these, this series where we're looking at individuals who are dealing with these internal struggles, whether that's stress, worry, depression, anxiety, fear, temptations, sins, feeling overwhelmed, feeling under pressure, like all of those internal battles and internal struggles. Four things I would encourage you. The first one is pray and pray a lot. Um, which this was great. Last week we mentioned this and we were flooded with prayer requests from last week. Our prayer team has been busy and I'm, I'm loving that. That QR code that's right there at your seats, you can scan that, scroll and you'll see where it says submit a prayer request. Let us pray for you. We pray for you specifically and individually. It doesn't just go into some database somewhere. Let us pray for you. I would also tell you to be in your Bible. The passages we look through today, go back through them on your own throughout the week. It's not a, well, I heard that Brian spoke on that on Sunday, I'm good. No, re-engage God's word and let him speak to you specifically this week from those same passages so you know where to start. Use our next step team. Every Sunday we have a next step team that stands up front to, to physically be here for you, but also spiritually be here for you. To meet you there and to answer questions, to ask questions with you, to walk with you, to guide you, to lead you, to not have to carry these burdens on your own. Use the next step team. And the fourth one I would say is counseling is a sign of strength, not weakness. My goodness, there are so many people that God has used in my life to speak truth into my life, and counselors is one of them. Allow people to speak into your life. So if you've got questions on counseling or where do you start or who do you go to or where do I even begin, if you'll email us at info at localchurchdawson.com, we will email you some great recommendations. We don't have any counselors on staff, but we've got great partnerships in the community. Would love to help you navigate what might be next within a counseling uh, relationship. Super helpful, super uh, beneficial. But as we go through our passage today and looking at our individual today, we're going to kind of go through a progression of noticing the power of sin, of those struggles and those temptations. We're going to look at the power of sin. Then we're going to see our struggle with sin. Like we still struggle with sin. But then we're also called to live a life under God's freedom through Jesus. What does grace look like? What does freedom look like? from sin, even though we continue to struggle. So that's kind of our progression. To do that, you ready for this part? We're going to be in three different chapters today. Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. So buckle up. I'm going to read super fast. 
Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. If you've got a Bible, I think it'll be super helpful to see it in paper on this one because you're going to actually see how some other parts of the scripture are going to um, kind of lead into the next. I'm going to not bounce around, but we're going to kind of move quickly through those. So this is one of those instances, paper Bible is going to be super helpful. I'm not anti-technology, but you're just going to be doing a lot of this uh, if you're on your phone. If you need a Bible out in the lobby, make sure you grab a Bible on your way out. Best gift I know how to give you. And I think it'd be helpful for you. So Romans chapter six, let's look at what Paul then is talking about in regards to the power of sin. Romans chapter six, starting in verse six, listen to what he says. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So just even right there, let's recognize sin has power in our lives. Paul said it. He's, he's saying we, this is not just him specifically, we'll get to that in a second, but we recognize that sin is powerful, and sometimes we don't give enough credit to sin. Now, Jesus is absolutely more powerful, and we're going to see that next. We're told we are no longer slaves to sin. Why? Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And this is the greatest news for us. Look at this right here. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. That's what is so significant about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He took sin off the, the penalty of sin off the table once and for all for those that trust and put their hope in him. We're told, but now, he, now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That's the good news. That is why we show up every Sunday and why we worship and why we celebrate and why we praise. That's why we have gratitude in our hearts because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. What we were powerless to do, he had the power to overcome all sin and death. And because he rose from the grave, he has conquered both, conquered both sin and death. He's taken the power away from sin. Great news. Paul's not done yet. Very next verse, verse 12, in that same line of thought of what Jesus has done for us and how the power of sin has been broken, the very next verse, look at the, the command here. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give your bodies completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So, your whole body, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Isn't that interesting that in that same line of thought, almost in that same breath from Paul, he says, look at what Jesus has done. He has ended the power of sin. He has broken the power of death and sin. He has conquered it. We have victory in him. Praise God, but don't let sin control your lives. It almost feels like, hang on a second. You just said that Jesus broke the power of sin, but I still have to work at this? Mm, there's the struggle. Jesus, because of what he did on the cross and his resurrection, broke the power of sin, but I still, I still am going to struggle with this? Yes. See, the reality and what we're seeing Paul explain here is the power of sin was broken, and that's something that only Jesus could do. You and I cannot do that. That is something that was required by Jesus, and he humbly accepted it. 
said, I will go to the cross. I will take the sins of the world away. I will break the power of sin. But the pressure to sin is still present. So that's kind of what we're going to wrestle with. The power of sin has been broken by Jesus, his death and his resurrection. He broke the power of sin. But the pressure to sin, the temptation to sin, the struggle of sin, that is still very much present. And that's where we find ourselves wrestling today. As Christians that have given their lives to Jesus and celebrate what he did on the cross and celebrate his resurrection from the grave, yet we still struggle with these sins in our lives. The power's been broken, but the pressure is still there. What do we do with that? I want you to see what Paul does with that. So that's chapter six. We're a third of the way there. Great job. Now we're going to go to chapter seven. Chapter seven, this is interesting because Paul, if you noticed in chapter six, what we just read, even in that small section, you can broaden your view and read through the rest or glimpse over it. And you'll notice that Paul is using a lot of we and you language. Most of Paul's letter and many of his letters, but most of them are you language or we language, right? Here's what Jesus has done for us. Here's what we, or here's what you need to do. And it's interesting that he flips that in this section of chapter seven. He moves away from the we and the you and the us language, and he moves to a very personal language. He starts saying, I, me. So I want you to notice what Paul is personally struggling with. Oftentimes we just say like, well, yeah, it's general. It's, well, we struggle and they struggle and yeah, we all are sinners. But notice that Paul makes this about himself. And I would say we should do the same as well. Notice how he makes this personal. Verse 15 out of chapter seven, Paul says, I, starts with the me. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. It's like he had a Chick-fil-A right there that had honey, pepper, pimento chicken sandwiches on sale. But if I know, look, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So that's him saying, I understand what's right and wrong. It's not because I'm not understanding. It's not because I don't agree with it. I'm fully aware of right and wrong. So it's not out of being ignorant or naive. He's very aware of it. Verse 17 so I am not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. So we're recognizing there's a battle within us. Verse 18, and I know, I know that nothing good lives in me, that it is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can you feel for Paul just for a second here? I mean, even just reading that, you're like, Paul, man, take, take a breath. Pause for a second. Collect your thoughts. I know what is right, but I still don't do the right thing. I want to do what is good, but I end up not. And I know that I shouldn't do that, but I do it anyway. And I hate that I'm doing this, but I still choose to. Right? That is our story, isn't it? I know what I need to be doing, and I don't. And I'm very aware of right and wrong, what God would say is pleasing and what's not, and I still choose the wrong thing. I'm very aware of it. So why can't I fix this? Why can't I change this? Notice, Paul knew the right things. He loved God. We see that later on, we're actually gonna see like he has a heart for God's word. Like we know that, but he actually tells us. He loves God's word. He loves God, yet he still struggles. So then in verse 21, he kind of sums his kind of jumbled mess of thoughts up. Verse 21, Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, 
I inevitably do what is wrong. Still true today. Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant. (laughs) That is still true today. The principle of life, I know what I should do. I know what's right, but I inevitably don't do it. I inevitably do what is wrong. And if you look at verse 24, now this is an interesting switch. He went from this principle of life, very very matter-of-fact, very logical. Based on what I've been dealing with, based on my struggles, I've come to this conclusion. Here's a principle of life. We're all going to struggle. But now it almost becomes a plea. And I love it goes from his head to his heart. Verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will... Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So he starts out giving in chapter 6, thank God that, that the power of sin has been broken. But the pressure to sin is still there. Let's just make sure we are on the same page of that. Then he makes it very personal. He says, I'm struggling. I know what to do and I don't do it. I full well believe in God and his word and I choose to go against it. So I now recognize, I come to this conclusion of here's a principle of life. I'm going to know what to do, and I'm inevitably going to do what's wrong. So who's going to help me? Who's going to step in? I can't do this on my own. Again, this is recognizing Paul loves God. He loves God's word. He knows God's word. This isn't for lack of effort and intentionality. Sometimes we're so quick to say, yeah, my intentions were, were good. Sure, We can have great intentions. Paul had wonderful intentions. I know what's right, and I really want to do what's right. I'm going to strive to do what's right, but inevitably I still go against God's word. So it's not even for lack of intentions. It's not for lack of effort. Paul comes to some great conclusions, not just what we read in Scripture, but I would say two more, that he recognizes that there's a problem, and that problem cannot be fixed on our own. We cannot change on our own. Paul recognized that, and man, I pray that you recognize that as well. I'm in that same category. I have a problem. I cannot change on my own. You have a problem. You cannot change on your own. We have a problem. The problem is called sin. It's this principle of life that Paul just recognized and came to the conclusion of. And like Paul, can we get to a place where we say, so who's going to help? Who's going to do the work? Who's going to do the changing? How, how is this going to, how's this going to play out next? This can't be the end of the story. Yeah, we have problems. We have struggles. We have temptations. We have sins that we just hope and pray nobody ever finds out about. But who's going to change that? What am I supposed to do with that? Before we move into the next part of this, like this is crucial for us. It's crucial for me. It's crucial for you. We have to get to a place where we say, yes, the sin in my life is a problem. So often we can get used to the sin in our life and we make all kinds of excuses and rationalizations around it. And we get used to it and we begin to embrace it. And before long, it's just part of our lives. I love that Paul is struggling against it. Just because he doesn't always do the right thing, I love that he's still struggling to do the right thing. That struggle's important. Because if you're not struggling, you're just like, sure, well, it just kind of is what it is. This is how I am. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I've been doing. It's just part of my life now. Paul's not embracing, well, you know what? If I'm just going to end up doing what's wrong, might as well just lean in. No, he's like, no, I don't want this. I want to figure out how to change. I I don't like this. Man, we've got to get to that place where we say, yes, we have a problem. I have a problem. 
But this is not a problem that you and I can fix on our own. We cannot truly change on our own. We might see some moments oh, of, of victory here or change here, but holistically, like Paul, who's going to set me free from this? Who's going to free me from my life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25 begins that next section. This is when Paul begins to point us to the answer. Verse 25, and he's very clear about it. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can we read that together? Like, that's significant. Let's read that together. Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the answer. It's not no more, do more, try harder, be better. It's the answer is in Jesus Christ. He begins to elaborate and says, so you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now we're going to move into chapter eight. I hope you know this. If not, I'm going to teach you something. Uh, chapter numbers, verse numbers, those were added later. It's not like Paul said, period. Now number eight. No, this is, this is his letter, and it's the same line of thought. Chapters and verses are helpful for us to be able to find things. So that same line of thought continues into chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, So now, so because of what we just discovered, that we have a problem, we cannot change on our own, but the answer is only found in Jesus. And then he says, So now there is no condemnation. That means no penalty. Sometimes we, we just quick or quick to say, like, no judgment. There is judgment, but we are free from the penalty of sin. So now there is no penalty or no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has, here it is, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So now we're talking about freedom. This is where I want us to hang out for a bit. Now we can start talking about the freedom. We recognize what Jesus did on the cross his sacrifice and his resurrection from the grave broke the power of sin because of what we just read here in verse one, because Jesus took the penalty away. Now that, now that sin doesn't have the penalty to hold over you, there's no power over you anymore. Paul made it very clear. We all still struggle though. So what do we do with this struggle? How do we think about the struggle? Because oftentimes I'll sit across the table from somebody that is struggling and I'm so, so thankful that they're willing to bring up their struggle with me. Man, here's where I'm struggling and I don't know what to do with this. And, and then you start to hear the guilt. Christians, we are so good at piling on our own guilt. And I know I'm a believer and I know what Jesus wants for me and I still, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, time out for a second, hang on. Before we jump into all the shame and all the guilt, because that's not coming from Jesus. We just said there's no condemnation, so where's this coming from? Let me maybe give you a little bit of a different perspective of what we're hearing in this passage. We are told that we are set free. You know what we usually hear when that phrase comes out of a mouth? Oh, it's going to be so much easier and so much better. That's usually how we begin to translate that. That's not what it says. It's not what Paul's saying. It's not what scripture points to. But when we hear we've been set free, it means, oh, thank goodness, it's going to be so much easier now. And that's not the case. Let me help you understand the situation that we are seeing play out. This is a war situation. This is a situation that truly looks like a war. Paul even uses that language uh, back in chapter 7. He says, but there's another power in me, this is verse 23, there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. 
we are in the middle of a war. So when you hear Jesus talk about setting the captives free, when you hear Paul talking about how Jesus and his spirit have set you free, you need to think of that in the context of the war that's going on currently. So let me help you understand. In the war, you are either in the fight or you are out of the fight. If you are out of the fight, in war terms, you are either a prisoner or you're dead. Those will take you out of the fight. Both of those will take you out of the fight. If you are in the fight, that tells me that you are alive and fighting. That says that you are alive and you are still free to fight. Makes it sound a little different now, doesn't it? When you recognize you're in the middle of a war, not fighting means you're a prisoner or you're dead. When you're struggling and you're in the middle of the fight, that says you are alive and free. David and Goliath, let me give you an example. Most of us know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, giant of a man with the Philistine army, and the Israelites were fighting against the Philistines. But because of Goliath, the Israelites were no longer fighting. In fact, you can read, this, you can read the story where Goliath would come out on the battlefield and say, come on, who's going to fight me? And all the Israelites backed away and said, mm-mm, we're not doing this. We're not fighting. We are going away. We are going to be done fighting. We are out of the fight. We are not even going to step foot on the battlefield. We are going to have nothing to do with this fight because he is too strong, because Goliath is too powerful. We cannot win, so we don't even want to engage in the fight. That's how the scene started. Then David, not King David quite yet, shepherd boy David shows up, and he's like, why aren't you guys fighting? And they're like, don't you see Goliath? Why would you even ask that question? And he says, why have you got it on my side? I got this. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly how it came out. But he walks up to Goliath with what? Yes. A slingshot and some stones. That's exactly right. He steps up. Goliath makes his big, bad speech. And, and basically David says, yeah, God's on my side. This isn't going to end well for you. Slings it up, hits him in the forehead, falls down dead. You know what happens? We usually stop the story there. But do you know what happens after Goliath falls down dead? The Israelite army gives a war cry and they begin to advance. They step onto the battlefield. They re-engage the fight. They don't just re-engage the fight. They start chasing after the Philistines. They chase them all the way into another city because the future king defeated Goliath. And now the Israelite army was free to fight. They were free to advance. They were free to move forward and still fight. They got back in the fight because of what the king did. That is our story. Because of what the king did, King Jesus, he defeated sin and death and took its power away which means we have freedom to now fight and to re-engage the struggle and to do so with a victorious war cry, with confidence because of what King Jesus has already done. Because of what Jesus did, when we talk about freedom, he has not freed you from the fight. And I know you're probably hoping to hear that he has. That's kind of what we want to hear, if we're honest. 
I want to be freed from the fight. I don't want to struggle anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm tired of. That's Paul's language in chapter 7. I'm still dealing with this. But because of Jesus, we are freed to fight and to fight well and to fight with hope and to fight with confidence that does not come from us, but it comes because what we saw our king do because of how our king has freed us. So that's a very different way of beginning to think through, Jesus has set me free. It's he has set you free and he's handed you a sword. He said, it's time to fight. The, the war has already been decided, but we have a part to play in how we begin to fight. Now, maybe that sounds good-ish, right? The good news is what Jesus has already done. The reality is, so now it's, it's us, right? It's time to, to fight. It's time to push against these struggles, right? There, that's the idea of, of being freed by him. The captive is being set free. But what does this look like Monday morning? Let's, let's, let's talk outside of church for a second. Like, man, this is great. Preach, preacher, right? None of you said that, but that's okay. Uh, you're like, man, this is so good. I'm taking notes. Well, what does that do like Monday morning when like the battle comes right to you again? What happens when the struggle hits and it's very real again? And you're not sitting in church anymore. And it's, it's hard, and it's heavy, and it's devastating. And again, your mind begins to spiral. And you start sounding like Paul in chapter 7. I know where this is going to end up. I know where this is going to go. How do we begin to wrestle with that? That's the last section I want us to see. So still in Romans chapter 8, but I want us to look at verse 5. Here's how Paul begins to turn the corner. So you're free. You are free to fight. Here's what that begins to actually look like. How do you use your freedom is another way to ask the question. Verse 5, those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to, say these two words with me because we all want them, leads to life and peace. When we read through what Paul was experiencing in chapter 7, I didn't hear a lot of life and peace. I do this, and I don't want to do that, and I know I shouldn't do that, but I do that anyway. Like, that's not life and peace. So, like, what do I do? Now we're starting to see where life and peace come into play in the midst, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our fighting. We're told this later in, in verse 9, if you skip down just a little bit. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, there's still a consequence there, but we are saved by the penalty of it. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Definition of righteousness, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit. He says it again, it's the same spirit living within you. Paul doesn't say, man, you really want to like fight well, you better like try really, really hard. Paul does not say, you want to fight this battle well with the sin and the struggles and the internal battles of your life, then you need to just really, really, really work hard. No. Like, if we go back over this section of chapter 8, it's constantly pointing back to God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
It's the spirit that controls our minds. It's the spirit that gives life and peace. It's the spirit that. It's the spirit who. It's the spirit that provides life and peace. It's the spirit of God living in you. And it's the same spirit, just if you were questioning, it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit lives in you and lives in me. So Paul is saying, you want to fight well? Has nothing to do with you. Jesus already took the power of sin away. He broke the power of sin. So what are we left to do in our daily fights and daily battles with temptations and struggles? We allow the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God does. And His Holy Spirit lives in us. If I were to like summarize this up, maybe into language that like isn't sounding so theological, let me say it this way. Real change is not behavioral modification. And we usually think it is. I've just got to try this and I've got to put these things in place. And there's value in that. I'm not saying like you don't do any of that, but we usually end there. And then we wonder why we still struggle and we fall back into it because it's not real change. It's temporary. Real change is spiritual transformation. It's where the spirit forms us into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old is gone, the new is here. Meaning we have a new life we're now living. He's breathed new life into us. He's giving us new desires. He's changing us from the inside out. But that's not because of our habits that we're trying to follow. It's because the Spirit of God is changing you from the inside out. It has to be spiritual because when you go back through, whose job is all of this change? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that lives in you. It's God's Spirit. Like it always goes back to His Spirit that's in you. So don't walk out of here with like 10 things to do to like really conquer my struggles. No. Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I depend on you. Holy Spirit, I need you to change me from the inside out. Holy Spirit, I can't do that. Like those are the prayers we begin to pray. Depending on maybe how you were raised or maybe just your own logic and thought progression, oftentimes we think of our relationship God in one of three ways. Let me show these and let me kind of walk them through with you. God then me, God not me or God in me. So God then me is God saved me from my sins. He took them as far as the east is from the, re- the west and then said, good luck. Let me know how it goes. I'll see you in heaven. Some of you think that, that God saved you and then he just left you to deal with everything else on your own and it's all on you and you're exhausted and you wonder why you're always struggling and you must not have been doing something right. Maybe God didn't really save me because I'm, so str- I'm struggling so much now. You have the perspective that God has saved you and then left you. It's not correct. God, not me. God, you saved me. You took my sins as far as the east is from the west and everything else is totally up to you. Like this is a problem in my life. That's, that's for you to deal with, God. You are now my savior, which means you have to fix everything that I'm dealing with. Every bad decision I make, well, like, I need you to clean that up, right? So now we take no responsibility whatsoever, and we just put everything off on God. Like, God, you just got to take care of everything. Also not correct. What theologically and what we see in Scripture is correct is it's God in me. It's his Holy Spirit in me. He saved us and then he moved in to take residency in you and he begins to change you from the inside out. So let me go to another slide and show you this one. This one might be helpful if you want to take a picture and study these a little bit later because I'm going to go through these super fast. Here's what the Holy Spirit does in each and every one of us. There's more to this, but this is, a, this is at least pertinent to our conversation this morning. The Holy Spirit convicts me. That means you show me the sin in my life. 
Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. In other words, convict me. Reveal my sin in me and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's the idea of repentance. So convict me, Holy Spirit. Show me the sin. Show me what I'm doing wrong. Show me what I need to keep struggling. And yes, I'm going to turn and face you and move towards you. There's conviction and repentance. The Holy Spirit helps me, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, for no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but instead provide a way out so that you can endure. In other words, I'm struggling. I've got temptations. And God's like, yes, but I'm giving you a way out. I'm going to help you. You still have a choice. The pressure to sin is still present, but I'm going to give you a choice. The Holy Spirit strengthens me. This is actually a beautiful prayer written by Paul where he prays for the church and says, I'm praying that the Spirit would empower you with strength because you can't do this on your own. The Holy Spirit teaches me. Psalm 119.11, keep reading all the way through verse 18, but 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I, do you know this next part? That I might not sin against you. You're teaching me your word. I need to know what your word says so I know what I'm called to do and I can struggle well. The Holy Spirit guides me. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. The end of that is the fruit of the Spirit. The beginning of that starts with, Holy Spirit, you have to lead me in this. Like, I can't just do these things. You have to lead me in the right direction and I need you to produce these in me. The Holy Spirit is, present tense, changing me. Philippians 1, 6. For God, who began a good work within you, is still working. And what do we say around here? God's not done yet. He's still working in you. He's still changing you. As long as you're still willing to fight, he's still changing in you. Now, there's things that we can do. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do those things. But we can do things in our own lives that either come alongside and partner with the Holy Spirit or we can resist the Holy Spirit. So let me just leave you with these three final questions. If you want to walk out with something, it's first and foremost is a relationship with Jesus. None of this conversation matters if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You put your trust and hope in him because that's the only way that the power of sin is broken. But then I've got some things that I need to wrestle with, to struggle with in regards to allowing the Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out. Here's the first one. Am I promoting intimacy or distance? Don't think physical intimacy. Intimacy as in deep, authentic relationship. Are the things that I'm doing promoting intimacy or distance? You know this. There's things that you can do in your relationships, things that you can do with your kids, things you can do with your spouse that promote intimacy or promote distance. Here's your first one. Second one, what am I feeding and what am I starving? You know how this goes. Whatever you feed, what happens to it? It grows. Whatever you starve, it dies. So what are you feeding in your life? Are you feeding the spirit or are you feeding the sin? If you're not sure, here's a great way to check. Is it growing stronger? Yes or no? Because the things that are starved get a little bit weaker. I'm not saying it goes away completely, but it gets weaker. What am I feeding and what am I starving? Last question to wrestle with, to struggle with. Am I practicing, keyword, am I practicing righteousness or am I practicing sin? Practicing is a very intentional word there. We practice to get better at something. You're not going to be perfect, but you practice to get better. So is the way that I'm living pointing more towards practicing righteousness and practicing living righteously? Doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect at it, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll become a little bit more like Jesus the more I practice. Or is my life pointing to just practicing sin and, man, I'm getting really good. 
fact, I can hide it even better now. I'm not perfect at it, but man, I'm getting pretty good. What are you practicing? Keep all this in mind. I go back to the very beginning of, what we, of where we started. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live under the freedom of God's grace. I'm going to say it again. You live under the freedom of God's grace, and that is the freedom to fight. That's the freedom to fight well. But without Jesus, we are out of the fight. So do you have struggles? Yep. Do I have struggles? Most certainly. But are you trying to fight on your own? Or have you allowed Jesus to take the power of sin away? And are you allowing the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out? We do not grow, into, grow intimacy with God or practice righteousness or, or feed our spirit. We do not do those things so that God loves us more. We do not do those things to earn his acceptance. We do those because we are his. Our identity has been changed. We have been given new life and you are a child of God. And that's what we do in his family. We're going to take communion together to remember that Jesus once and for all broke the power of sin. If you didn't get communion, if you'll just raise your hand, we'll have folks walking around here in just a second. This is an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done, to thank him for who he is and what he's done, and to remember, to remember your Savior and what your freedom cost him. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you for breaking the power of sin by your sacrifice on the cross. I pray that we take this moment to do nothing but give gratitude to you for what you've done for us. We love you. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for giving us the free gift of your grace. Thank you for not making us clean up our lives before coming to you, but meeting us where we are, but not leaving us there. In Jesus' name. Amen.